Hello, everybody. Uh, just a little heads up before you get into this podcast. Um, I wanted to let everybody know that this this podcast between Ron and I is really a conversation about dealing with and trying to look at the racism that we grew up with and exists inside of us. So this may not be a podcast that POC people want to listen to, and I totally understand that. So please just skip over this particular one. There is some swearing, but if you've listened to my podcast, you know that that is part and parcel of this whole podcast. So this podcast was mainly geared toward white folks and doing the anti-racism racism work that we all need to do. I hope you enjoy and please share around. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. I want to start with doing a land acknowledgement. Um, both Ron, my guest, who I'll tell you about in a little bit, are on the unceded territory of the Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Calit bands of the Chinook, Tualatin, Kalapuya. Malala, and many other tribes that made their home along the Columbia River. Again, we are on, on unceded territory. We, we, we were not given the land. And Portland, um, so-called Portland, Oregon, is not ours. I go by the pronouns of she, her, hers. And I am here today. Well, <laughs> I keep saying I'm here today. Technically, we're here together, but not technically, because Ron is in, at his house in the Pearl, and I'm in my house in the Mississippi neighborhood, but I guess we're here in spirit. Hmm. I'm here with uh, my guest, Ron Cecil. He is a masculine wholeness coach, which I'm guessing is similar to me, which when you can do face-to-face, -face, I'm guessing you do. And then most of the time you meet with people all over the world. Mm -hmm. okay. So we, we were introduced by a good friend of ours, Darrell, who some of my listeners may remember. Darrell is a friend of Ron's and a friend of mine. Darrell does the Black Men's Wellness. And Darrell suggested that Ron and I meet. We had a phone conversation, and from that phone conversation, today's podcast was born. <laughs> but I, I want, um, like I do every week, I want Ron to introduce himself because I believe he can do a better job of describing <laughs> what he does, which sounds fascinating to me, um, mainly because brokenness in men doesn't just affect men. It affects everybody, just like brokenness in women. Brokenness in people affects the people that we love. And all of us want to live more whole. Mm. 
So, Ron, welcome, and thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, and I also want to thank you for acknowledging the land we're on. Um, That was... I felt a, I felt a very reverent, uh, for lack of a better word, spirit, and and uh, we are not on land that is ours, Mm-mm. and um, and it gives me a deep appreciation for this moment and where I live, uh, and I wish I could somehow pay for it. I wish I could somehow um, just say thanks. And so just that moment is good. And I and encourage everyone to just have a moment of reverence for where they are, the land they walk on. So mm. thank you for that. That's, that was beautiful. Yeah. And uh, like you said, I am a masculine wholeness coach. Uh, my name is Ron Cecil and uh, really I'm, I'm a dude who, who um, was uh, the product of, of a, broken home and and like a lot of folks um watched my family my mom and dad struggle through their life my dad was married eight times before he passed away um from addicted related issues my mom's been married five times and within my family there's been um nearly 30 marriages between my grand both sides my grandparents my mom and dad their brothers and sisters which aren't a lot and my cousins uh and I went to school to be an evangelical pastor. I, I, I could never step into that role. Something inside me just felt very unsettled by it. And along the way was introduced to uh, the masculine journey, which is uh, not necessarily a, a known phrase. Uh, but what that is, is essentially recognizing the masculine wholeness is a process, a lifelong process, and one that that cultures across the globe had had mechanisms for in the past. Yeah. Rites of passages um, and stages in a person's life um, that identified as that you know that with that masculine energy that that started from birth and went through adolescence and into manhood and on on into the twilight years. And as Westerners, we don't have those. We have um, driver's license and birthdays, you know, 18th birthdays and 21st birthdays. And we have maybe if you're lucky, um, graduations from colleges or other things like that. And yet we feel like unfinished people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We feel like we're about to be found out. We feel like we are imposters. Um, (laughs) Tick, tick, tick. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And um and we don't know how to identify with either the strong masculine or the weak masculine. And, and that gives us um, very, very um, uh, bad boundaries with the feminine. And, mm. um, and so we abuse all of it uh, because yeah. we don't know how to handle it. Would so, you, it's the, the, I just quick question. Yeah not only the feminine energy around men, but also the feminine within themselves. 100%. That's okay. exactly right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And we, and maybe we'll touch on that later if it's okay, if we don't, yeah. but, but um, you know, there's obviously uh, a feminine energy that, that exists in every man and, um, and he's got to get in touch with that. 
in order to understand his whole heart and who he is. Um, so that's, uh, you know, I, I've got a whole story how I got into that. And, and um, basically, you know, my dad was a fuck up and, <laughs> and, I, and I was on that path and uh, decided I had to throw the brakes on it. And, and so my world has been informed by not only my education past, but the, the intense studies I've put myself through and the curriculums I've exposed myself to and, and then just leading people, leading people for a long time. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's my passion. It's what drives me. It's what gets my feet on the floor. And it's, um, and it's a gift. And it's probably no mistake that you and I get to talk about this stuff today. And, and especially as a white dude person knowing that a part of the deep masculine and the deep feminine is acknowledging the errors we make knowingly and unknowingly mm-hmm. and uh as especially as a white dude um i uh i grew up in a racist culture a racist family both sub you know both kind of low-key racist on my mom's evangelical side and just straight up racist on my dad's side and uh because of where i grew up in the southwest i was the only white kid in a hispanic community latinx community and my best friend down the street was the only black kid and and that informed my life and hearing um the messaging from my white family and then the reality of the kids I would call my best friends and understood that um, something was wrong. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting that you, what you're saying, because just, just a side note, when you were talking, I thought something popped to my mind of like, when I was in high school, we, you and I discussed this, but I was raised in a staunch evangelical home, but I went to public school and I had gay friends mm. and, but when I would go to church, I, you know, I'm getting the message that being gay is wrong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm going back to school and I'm going, well, I love these people, but also because I'm a good girl and I follow the church rules, mm-hmm. just split myself, Yeah, which in splitting sure. myself really isn't about me splitting myself. It's about mm-hmm. me not not having the maturity to confront. Yeah. It's a good way to describe and, it. Uh, it's just interesting how there's so many times in our lives where we have to do or we choose to do those things. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes we have to choose to do those things because it's not safe for us to make another choice. Yeah. Our, you know, right. Right. But also that we, it's almost like we're taught to split ourselves early. Yeah. I think that's probably um, as a recovering evangelical, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's probably the only way we can handle the paradoxes that we face is, is to split ourselves, And, um, and we're, uh, we're, we're taught to do that subconsciously. You know, no one told us you got to act this way here and that way there. Um, it was modeled for us and then we just, and then we just figured it out on our own. Right. Like we just like, yeah, it's the only way I can do it. Go ahead. 
<laughs> oh, and be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, so much indoctrination. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I did one of the one of the things that came up when you and I talked was mm. we started talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. And for lack of a better word, and also a term that I think has been overused by white people, mm. your experience along with your wife of waking up to it. We're yeah. not going to make ourselves woke <laughs> because I don't I don't think any white people should be calling themselves woke. <laughs> but um yeah. you had a you had a waking up experience, and so I asked you mm what if you would be willing to share what it was like to realize that you're waking up kind of late and you generously were willing to take that on because i think i going back to the gay situation i don't i don't know if you can identify with it but it's the only thing that i think kind of feels similar when so many churches have been anti-gay all this time. Yeah. You know, rigidly and then kind of hiding it mm -hmm. in bylaws or whatever they call what the things that they do to kind of trick people until gay people then ask to do jobs. And then they find out, oh, this place that I've been tithing to doesn't actually like gay people. Mm. But then as those places get more and more heat, instead of like, like what you were saying about the masculine, instead of owning, we fucked up, we missed it, apologizing, making restitution and amends, they pretend like they believed it was okay all along. Yeah. And I, and I feel there's some similarities because for all of the things that Jesus talks about, you know, forgiveness and honesty and amends and all these other things, the church has missed the mark over and over again about really how to own the things that you do. Hmm. And so I thought it would, it would be an amazing conversation just to, just for you to say honestly about what it was like for you and your wife to kind of, you're not showing up later to the party than a lot of people, but you're just willing to talk about it honestly. And so, so could you tell the story about how you feel like you guys started to go, Oh, wait a second where it started to become maybe more than, more than something in your peripheral vision, peripheral vision, but something that you're like, oh, fuck, we have yeah. to do something about this now. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can. And thanks for, um, thanks for this reminder. And thanks for, for this opportunity to talk. Um, you are welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, gosh, like, I, like, I don't want to pretend like I'm a, I'm especially good at any of this stuff. Cause I am certainly not, 
you know, I, I probably like a lot of white dudes thought that the racism, systematic racism in this country was overstated by the black community. I wouldn't have said that. Right. I wouldn't have yeah. just like gone and gone out and said that. But I, I acted that way and I acted that way by not acting. Right. I, yeah. By by Wait, ignoring. And say that one more time, because I think that that was really good. Yeah. I mean, I I I just didn't do anything when the systematic racism that has been operating for a very long time has been going on and i and and i'll you know give you clear examples it's whether i I remember the first time as a as about a teenager that i I really understood that racism was still going on was i was at the late 90s maybe 98 99 and i was living in dallas and there was a a killing in east texas of a black man by two or three white dudes who assaulted this person and then drug him behind a truck on a gravel road till he died. I remember that. And I wish I could remember his name. Um, And I remember being utterly shocked, just like, you know, I, I, I I remember I I was working in a, uh, a medical manufacturing warehouse that made equipment. And I, I remember hearing it on the radio and just kind of like looking around and wondering like, well, shouldn't we be doing something? Shouldn't we be like gasping and like, holy, you know, oh my God, like, what do we do? And, and kind of looking around and no one was doing anything. And I, and I, that was the first time I just thought that like something's fundamentally wrong. Um, and, and, and instead of, acting i just kind of let the signals of the warehouse tell me like oh we do nothing that's what we do we just keep doing nothing and and that's the cycle right that's the cycle i just continue to be in um for the next 20 years is a boy gets murdered in a in a neighborhood for being black kid and i would think things i wouldn't say them out loud but i would think things like oh he should have said something differently. He shouldn't have been there. Uh, if he was, you know, just all kinds of that bullshit. Um, yeah. That, God, again, I, I, it's not, a, it's not that I said it out loud. It's not that I had a conversation with it, but, the, but I just kept thinking. Really, where I really started to pay attention was um, the gentleman who was stopped by the father and son this year was this year or last year in 2019. Um, and they shot him with a shotgun and it was videotaped. And, and that's when I thought, Holy shit, like this is a lynching. This is an actual lynching. Um, I don't remember how that, how that plays into the George Floyd timeline, but that's, that's when I was really, really thinking we, I'm living in a country that's allowing this to happen, but this is okay. Um, And, and that's when I decided uh, I got to wake the fuck up and, and use my, whatever power I've got to unwind from my own brain, the messaging or the actions that allows us to continue to keep going on mm-hmm. because I, 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 you know, 
I actually believe that everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Right. And yeah. whether that's whether that is happening or not in, in, the, in our politics, in our world, I don't care. I elect what I'm going to continue to believe. And and that um, no person, you know, the I, I don't know, like I can get on that rant about killing people, uh, you know, the injustice of that. But the but the obvious injustice of 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 the fear that white people have around black people in their neighborhoods or whatever that might be is ridiculous. And I'm really tired of it. And, and then as I was examining myself, um, I thought, what, what, what am I doing about this? What am I, who am I talking to? Who are my friends? Um, who, who, how, how am I speaking about this with my kids? I have a 14 year old son and an eight year old daughter. How, how am I educating them? what are we talking about? And, and really, because we live in America, how, what, how am I spending my money? Where's my money going yeah. involved in this? And those are the questions I really begin to a- ask. And because we live in downtown Portland, you know, when, when the protests begin to happen, um, for the first two or three days, my heart wanted to go, but I was afraid. And I was afraid to go because I thought there might be police who would hurt protesters. And I thought there might be protesters who might want to get wild. And, and, and my excuse was, well, I'm a dad. I've got kids who, um, yeah. they need their dad to come home. They need their dad to come home uninjured. Yeah. And, um, and I think I've actually like the third or fourth day, um, this is an interesting coincidence, but you know, third or fourth day, I just thought we can't get on the other side of all this and to then to face our kids and go look at them and say, we did nothing. Yeah. Um, so my wife and I both decided to go. We just thought, shit, if we, if, if one of us is going to go, we might as well both go. We both feel this. We both know this. You definitely are not supposed to go alone. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and thankfully as I was about to head out the door, uh, Darrell, who you mentioned in this podcast, uh, just ended up calling me randomly and saying, Hey, I'm in your neighborhood. Uh, you want to meet up? And, and I thought that man, that is a, but that's not a sign. I don't know what is. So we got the good gift of going with him. And, and really what was beautiful about that early moment down there, downtown was the reverent, the reverential silence, collective silence that was down there at that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, However, many thousands of people were at Pioneer Square, which is an interesting name. Um, yeah, never, never put that together. God, right? Um, right smack in the middle of town. Right. Yeah. Um, there was a, at that moment, at least while we were there, there was a lot of silence. And that was beautiful. Uh, and, and I'll tell you the reason I went. The reason I went was because I, I, I met Darrell at a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu dojo here in town. And, um, we're lucky enough. Uh, I'm lucky enough to go to a, a dojo that has a lot of people of color in it. And, and because I grew up in a community where, uh, I was one of the few white people in the, in my neighborhood, in my school and all those things, I feel very comfortable in a place like that. And yeah. I remember joking with you that I'm, I'm always nervous in a room, you know, a room full of white people. And I'm, that's the truth. That's actually how I feel. Um, 
So, so, but what interested me was I'm following, you know, all my friends who go to that dojo and one of the most vocal persons was the whitest dude I knew there. And he looked mm -hmm. like Ken, you know, Ken, you know, Ken and Barbie, like he looked yeah. like that, like blonde six pack. He's a doctor. Um, and, and just as nice as nice can be. And, and I thought, I, you know, I would have never imagined him being so vocal about it, but he just was relentless about the injustice and our need as white people to do something, to get off our asses yeah. and to be shoulder to shoulder with our friends or people of color friends and, and um, raise our voice. And, and I felt guilty that he, uh, I don't know his story, um, but I just felt, I just thought uh, he has the most to lose, right? As a, as a person who is, a, you know, um, kind of out there, a, a doctor and, and like and, financially. And, yeah. Just all of it, you know, he, yeah. like, and I, <laughs> And I, and I have the least, I work for myself. <laughs> no one yeah. is right. Like no one is, uh, judging me. I can't. And, and I, I was, I was impressed and I was impressed with the community that banded together and stood next to each other. And, um, I'm lucky to say that that's been a great gift to be a part of, you know, from there, it was like showing up, just being there, being in, in, yeah, like bearing witness. Yeah, bearing witness. And then it was, you know, my wife, her own journey and her own story, but she grew up in the wealthy suburbs of Portland. And um, and she just kept going, like, what do I not know about myself? Mm -hmm. Asking that question, what do I not know about how I've been acting? What do I not know about the way I've been putting my energy into the world? And, and how do I kind of uncover the systematic racism that I may have not been doing, you know, but may, may have been doing and not knowing that I was doing it. Yeah. And, and so we um, started watching documentaries and just really just asking the question, being okay with being wrong. I think that was where we started. And, and I think, I think there's a, a real fear in, in, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe everybody, but white people in particular of, of being wrong of, of going, holy shit, I was on the wrong side of, of history. I was on the wrong side of a stance with something. And then it almost, it's almost like it snowballs because you are. And mm -hmm. instead of just owning it, yeah. when you and kind of working your way out of, you know, you can only know what you know when you know it, yep. but instead of working your way out of it, I think are a lot of, I would I would even say older, not all older white people, but older white people tend to double down. Yeah, 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 yeah. They do, um, and I and for me that's a, a big reason I knew I had to like unprogram my mind because after seeing and, and hearing my dad who's been dead for almost 20 years, but seeing his brother and, and my grandfather, but this was back in the eighties and early nineties, like brag about the racism, our family mm. brag about the judge that we had in our lineage who participated in lynchings. And I thought that's I, like, I do not want a drop of that blood in me. Like, like no. that is 
not okay. And I'm not passing this on. There's nothing about this that's okay. My mother on, on her side, it was, it was way more low key. And I think she's trying very hard for being a, a white woman, in her seventies. Um, but it's, I remember it, you know, even as uh, a maybe eight, nine year old kid going, mom, what do you think of, um, and I didn't use this phrase at then, but I, but uh, what do you think of biracial families? Uh, what do you think of when a, uh, a black person marries a white person? And, and she, I remember watching her brain process this. I, you know, those lessons you would get when mm -hmm. you're a kid where you're just watching your adult parent, like try to figure out what to say. And, yeah. and she goes, I think it would be really hard on the kids in the family. And I remember I called her out on it <laughs> yeah. as a child. And I thought, doesn't that, isn't that racist just to, to, to use that excuse? And I, and I don't think I said it that way, but I just remember being uncomfortable with her answer because I, I wanted her to say it's totally okay. And that we should, you know, oh, yeah. um, well, full disclosure, I, you know, when we're talking about the things that reveal themselves or we don't know, you know, I, there's things that I can point to where I'm like, Oh, that was racist. Mm. Oh my, you know, mm. mainly, mainly I would say from my mom and my mom's side, mm. but how those subtle things over time worm their way into your system, like mm. a, like one of those hookworms. And mm. Mm. I have never talked about this on a podcast. Mm. <laughs> I'm mm. very nervous. Not so nervous about what you're going to think of me, but I <laughs> mortify. Mm. I, um, I don't remember ever saying this, but I was in my 20s. I worked in Amsterdam, um, you know, at a missions organization mm. called YWAM, and I led mm -hmm. school. And I loved it. And when Todd and I were going to recently, it was a go with the kids. I had reconnected with a friend of mine who is from, I think he's Venezuelan. Mm. And he called me out and said, when you know, I was like 22, when you were 22, we had a conversation about me marrying, a, a, I think he married a Dutch woman um, who's white. And oh. you said, I think it would be very hard on the kids. Huh. And I, oh my fucking God. <laughs> well, what I did yeah. is I, I, I mean, this was all text back and forth is I probably sobbed for like 45 minutes. Wow. And then I um, wrote him back and I said, I'm sure you're right. I don't remember it. Um, and I'm sorry. And I don't believe that. And oh, oh it was awful. Yeah. When you think about, I, I take full responsibility. I mean, I was 22. So, but the things that you don't realize that you're saying yeah. that have roots in racism and you start to unpack that. And as you start to unpack it, you can't, you're not the person that you thought you were. Mm, that's good. And it unravels like that, you know, whatever we're trying to cling to that we 
that we like about ourselves, which is, you know, I think between you and I, obviously not just between you and I, but in, <laughs> in the work that we do, yeah. yeah, it is all about the beauty of the unraveling. Yeah, that's right. Because it can't stay the way it is because mm. the way it is isn't working. Plus, who mm. wants to stay the same? But the little, the tiny little whatever pedestal or platform that I had built um, for myself that was inclusive and loving of all people, which I believed and in my life, I feel like for the most part, I functioned that way, had uh, tapeworms of racism. So that leads me to kind of always stay to try, which I think is, I want to ask you about too, is kind of stay in the tension where who knows what somebody is going to tell me I've done or said. I, I want to be open for my immediate response to, if I have the chance, you know, if I'm, I'm not in the same room with them to like center down and kind of examine myself and then immediately own it. Yeah. Not just apologize, but own it. Yeah. But how do you, I mean, you know, how, how does that, how does that come up for you? Or do you feel like, um, yeah, have you, is, are there things that you've been surprised about that you didn't know about yourself? I, I'm a, I'm by nature, an empathetic person. And I think that one is, a, I don't know, I'm just born that way. And another is that I've traveled enough to see how a lot of the world lives. And, mm. and I've lived in mud huts in Africa and in Southeast Asia and in Mexico and, and, and then just grew up in a poor part of the world. You know, I, I, yeah. I mean, my family had a hard time buying groceries, even into high school. And uh, I, I, I had um, one of my best friends was um, this Mexican kid whose family was pretty wealthy and he bought us groceries because we didn't have any. And uh, so I, I, I'm, I, I don't know, you know, I think what surprised me is what it was when I was now is going, whose groceries have I bought? Who've, who've I stepped in for? And that's, and that's what's kind of scared me the most was I haven't. And, and that was really the only way my wife and I've been able to go, what can we do? And, And so we were really, try to be very conscious and open about, well, well, let's do this. We've got money to give to people. We can buy, buy the groceries. We can do that now. Um, so I think it, you know, uh, verbally uh, have I said to my children, uh, everyone is equal. Yes. Like, uh, you know, really calling out every kind of racism that we can say it, as openly as possible to our kids. We've, we've tried to be very careful to do that. 
but then really when it came down to it is, well, what am I really changing? And, Mm. and that's what, that's what scared me was realizing I can be white, comfortable, uh, dad, right. White, comfortable dude forever. No one's ever going to question that. No one's going to bother. You're probably the, 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 the people group or whatever you call white men. Yeah. Get away with that for the longest, the least oppressed person on earth. Right. Like, yeah. like, like <laughs> here I go and we'll have every opportunity to be successful in every single way um, and have no problems. So then, so then it goes, well, and I've said this to my kids, uh, we are, we are, we have no choice in the skin color that we've been given. Uh, and we have all these insane opportunities for that reason alone. And it's our choice to step in where others can't step in for themselves. And really I thought, well, when have I done that? When have I actually done that? And that's, that's when I started to realize like I haven't, I've said that, but I haven't. And that's, that's when, and that wasn't until this year. And that's mm-hmm. when I really began to go, holy shit, I, we have to change. we got to do something differently. And then that's, and, and what, what has been your process? Like, I mean, your yeah. wife's not a podcast, but um, what's been your process as a couple or individually or. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a couple, what we did is we, is we looked at, we look, I mean, first of all, we just decided to give up. A, a chunk of money away every month to um, some nonprofits. And we, we looked at, uh, I'm not, and I'm not going to plug those guys, but we looked at everything from, from immigration because that's really important to me. Um, I'm sorry, I, you know, trying not to <clears throat> white dude cry over here. Like uh, that's important to me because of where I'm from. Yeah. And that's important to me because I know as a dad, if I was in a dangerous situation and I needed to get my kids to safety, I would, of course, do everything yeah. to get them to a safe place. Yeah. And, and so uh, that's important to me. Uh, and, then, and then realizing, um, uh, you know, we watched the movie 13th on Netflix and I, and I remember getting to the end and just screaming at my screen going, what the fuck? Like, this is what I've been, this is where my, my dollars are going. My, my yeah. tax dollars are going is, is to the prison system and, and hearing the numbers like that broke my heart. And, and so we looked into uh, justice projects and I think it's actually one is called the justice project or the sentencing project is actually what's called. And, and uh, we decided to, give our money to organizations that are looking to reverse that because of um, it, the prison's connection to cheap labor and uh, all those things. Um, we, you know, and I started this a bunch of years ago, but it really, I really doubled down with this since then is, is really being very conscious of what I, where I buy things, like what, how I spend my money and in particular around clothes uh, mm-hmm. While this isn't, you know, addressing systematic racism in this country, it is addressing uh, global racism and who is the yeah. least of these and who who is basically forced labor. Um, 
around the globe. So I spend very little clothes on money and wear the same pair of jeans, like all the damn time. <laughs> and yeah, I and wish more Americans would do that. We have such a thing about having so many clothes and yeah. now we're in a pandemic. We don't even have to wear clothes. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's how I've been doing it. And then what I've been doing is, is really trying to reach out to my friends of color and just, to try to be a friend. I mean, that's just it. I'm, you know, and sometimes that's asking them about their experience right now. And sometimes that's asking them about their experience with racism and, and when needed apologizing, uh, cause they're certainly not going to hear it from somebody else and, and being willing not to say that I can apologize for, for white oppression or I can apologize for white racism, but I can, say, I'm really sorry that you went through that and it's not okay that someone treated you that way. Um, like and, all those expressions that are happening all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, the, and then lastly, it's been a cool thing to watch, especially my son, my son's 14. He's a really good skateboarder. He's on a skate team here in town. Um, he has a lot of social capital. And somewhere in there, he got that his influence matters and his voice matters. And he is white, blonde, blue eyed, handsome. Um, and he I, I, I'll see him. He's a free range skater. Like he, he just is all over town all the time skating. And he's brought kids home who are people of color who don't have a home to go to that's safe all the time, maybe where they're going to be able to eat all the time. And, um, and he looks for those kids and he is advocating for those kids in his own way and in his own world and making sure those kids have skateboards to skate on and making sure those kids maybe have a meal they didn't get to have earlier and, and just a friend to hang out with. Mm -hmm. And, and that's bad to the bone. Like that is something that I'm really proud of. And, uh, because I see that I, I didn't have to tell him to go do that. He just started doing that. And that's cool. That's very cool. Um, so that's, you know, what we're trying to do. And we've also, my wife teaches a group of women um, through cycles through the year. And she's had anti-racism experts come on and speak to those group of women and uh, at different times. And we've listened to, uh, you know, books on tape about how to be anti-racist and, and, and are, are just basically make giving ourselves the, the task of, of saying, you know, asking ourselves the question, are we racist in any way? How are we participating in racism, systematic racism? And, and then listening to people of color throughout the world, tell their stories, read the, reading their books and, and then letting them tell us how we are <laughs> because, yeah. because we don't know what we don't know. And then when we, do, then when we do hear about it, we go, okay, we're hearing this and let's now do something about it. And are we going to be perfect about it? No. Are we going to still want to, want to use our um, our position because of the color of our skin unconsciously? Yes, we will. And will we? Are we willing to be called out on that? Yeah. 
And is it uncomfortable? Yeah. Is it necessary? Yes. Um, you know, yeah. I, one of the things that I, that I feel like, I don't, I don't know if it's just, I don't think it's just limited to people who grew up in the church. Um, but I know it deeply manifests itself in the church um that whole white savior mentality where oh, yeah you know which i think is tricky for for people to kind of parse that out like you know that that thing when you're learning where also they don't need you to help them necessarily yeah they need you to listen and you know and do some of the things you're saying like where are you putting your money where's your vote going going mm -hmm, where's mm -hmm. your voice going but i i think it's hard for you know maybe white people that grew up in the church to really analyze that white savior mentality because mm -hmm. i think and what I keep hearing from, you know, from people of color is we don't need you to save us. We're saving mm. ourselves. Can mm. you walk beside us or behind mm -hmm. them for that matter? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you not suck all the air out of the room? You know, can you yeah. give up the mic? Can you, you know, can you like give up some of your power if you have, you know, if you have the opportunity? It's like that thing that came out I think it was around the the time that George Floyd um, was killed where, you know, people were just talking about amplifying other people's voices. And I think, again, that's and you you probably will understand what I'm saying by this. It's it's even that gets tricky because what I found is some people are amplifying their other people's voices, but there was a caveat. It's like that Christian handshake where somebody's giving you money, <laughs> but you kind oh, yeah. of feel like, okay, that was weird. And now do I, do I owe you something or right. like, are there strings attached? And so yeah, yeah. I'm curious if you've seen that come up in yourself and I mean, cause I see it. And then oftentimes mm -hmm. when I see that, white savior mentality come in i kind of just my stance is to wait 24 to 48 hours mm. kind of see how i'm feeling and then if i don't have a clear yeah. directive i keep my mouth shut yeah 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 um <laughs> oh. this i mean for me in particular and this is partly just in my personality is like uh, i i well, I heard this a long time ago in church. Even a fool sounds wise when he's when he's quiet, and um, and so my 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 always my go to is just to shut the fuck up and listen, and and that's because I love the sound of my own voice, and I get off on it. Like I just want to talk, 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 and talk, and 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 I learned a long time ago, and 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 part of this is also you were you were asking like, why, why, why am I even thinking about this stuff? And, and, and I didn't mention this earlier and I'll mention it now is part of it is I'm a person of recovery. I'm an addict. And 
I know that um, my brain goes nuts if I'm not really careful. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I'm a magnifier. I'm not a talker with this kind of stuff. I want to point to people who are out there in front and who I see doing right things. And the only two things, the only two lenses that I really try to be very careful with are is, and I, and I try to check this within myself, but also in the voices I hear calling for justice and, and others, uh, other things like that is, is it being um, informed by entitlement and or resentment? Mm-hmm. And I, and that's both sides and that's especially on the white voices, right? Like yeah. oh, if entitlement and resi- resentment are the two leading themes and you can feel it, or at least I can feel it. Mm-hmm. right away is like i'm i'm our i just out like i'm out i'm yeah, not participating like, in that <laughs> yeah and and then on the and then on the the victim side i have to give grace for those two things because when you've been victimized and you can't um uh and your voice needs to be heard like it's okay if you're fucking pissed off oh like Absolutely. Yes. Right. Like, like, so <laughs> you're, so I give a lot more dead inside of that not pissed off. Yeah. Like, yeah, I give a lot more voice, like grace for that resentment and entitlement because, because the emotion is okay. It, they, it like feelings are fine. I was, I was, um, I had breakfast with a friend of mine I came into town uh, a couple weeks ago and this guy is, uh, he was a rodeo star white dude from central Texas, uh, bull rider, turned pastor and um and he was telling me his story about how turned off the black lives matter movement has been to him oh about how um uh even watching one of the nba games his kid loves watching uh, basketball how he made him made his kid turn it off because of the black lives matter movement that was being presented through the games and um and how he goes, we aren't going to participate with, with, um, what was the word he used? Um, gosh, the, the word's going to come to me. Uh, it'll, I'll come back to that word. In other words, he didn't want to align himself. What he thought was, was, uh, was not righteous righteousness. Right. He thought it. Oh, rebellion. He mm. didn't want to be. A, he, he, he thought it was rebellious. Mm. And and I'm sitting hearing him listen, you know, tell me this over breakfast. And I'm like super uncomfortable listening to him. Yeah. And then I thought like, oh, he only know what number one. He only knows white. people. He just only knows white. People. Yeah. That's all he knows. And two. And then he goes. At some point in the conversation, he's like. I realized that in this process that I might be leading people the wrong direction because of my own discomfort. And, and he goes, I just had to shut up. And I thought, Holy shit. Good for you, man. Like the, that you're just going to decide to be uncomfortable and quiet rather than continuing to think that this was wrong. And I, and I, and I think that's a lot of what white, christians in particular think is like we're not going to participate in rebellion and yet we live in a country that was founded on rebellion and i 
Yeah. And I, and I think that is an interesting thing that like, it's okay to be in God's chosen country of country found in rebellion, but it's not okay. For, I mean, I don't even see what they would consider rebellious in the black lives matter movement. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that that's that again, that white supremacist, the white supremacy and, you know, racism that runs through everything and you can't see it because, I mean, it is shocking to me that some broken windows are more important than human life. And there is no fucking way if somebody kills, attacks your child, that you would not Mm -hmm. burn down the streets of town. Yeah. To see justice done. There's no, there's just no way, but we can separate. Yeah, and that's yeah. the white supremacy. We can separate ourselves because we have othered black and brown yeah. people to such a degree yeah. that we can't go, we can't see ourselves in their experience or what we would do in their experience. And I think um, one of the ways, yes, it's white supremacy. It's, it's a it's a canopy of white supremacy, but when we value corporations over human mm. lives over and over again, mm-hmm. it makes sense, I guess, to some degree, it doesn't make sense to me, but I can see where people go, oh, how dare you destroy a building? Mm-hmm. A building you can build again, a human life yeah. you cannot bring back from the grave. Yeah. No matter what my charismatic upbringing, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I, I have, I mean, no tolerance for, for that. Yeah. You know, plus you've been out on the street and for the most part, I would say 90% of the time it's people chanting, you know, maybe they're banging their shields. And the whole reason they mm-hmm. shields is because somebody is throwing and shooting them with rubber bullets. Yeah. Flashbangs, tear gassing them. But for the most part, most of my experience has been, like you said, like not always quiet, but a reverency and a care for each other that yeah. you don't see in every day. Like, you know, saying from the microphone if you don't have a buddy find a buddy Mm -hmm. you know you don't have to be alone Mm -hmm. out here we don't want you to be alone out here feeding Mm -hmm. people clothing Mm -hmm. people giving people haircuts like Mm -hmm. it's just it, it just boggles the mind but um again if if you think like you're saying, if you can label it, we love a label. If you can label yeah. rebellion, you other somebody without even noticing that you're othering somebody that is in the deepest grief. Yeah. Losing a child, losing, you know, like, I don't know much about the story that just came out, but the, the man that was having, uh, I think he was, having a I don't know if it was like psychotic episode but he was in mental distress Mm. mom was talking him down from it like she was trying to calm him down and he was shot by the cops and killed right in front of his mother Mm. you know and he has children and he had it you know the other thing is it shouldn't matter if the person has children (laughs) 
it's a right. human life. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I, um, <clears throat> so I, I think one of the way, questions a, a white person, evangelical, you know, person, I, and I, and I calling these guys out because that's who I came from yeah. and I'm calling them out because they tend to look more inward than someone who isn't, um, on a spiritual journey. And, and that is to recognize the lenses, which we see what we think is reality. And, and those lenses start from birth, right? Uh, it's our parents and the messaging they're giving us about what the world is. And then it's our school or our church and the, and the different voices that we hear coming through there. And so that's the second, third layer of lenses that, that we see reality. And then it just continues on and on to the point where you're colorblind, right? You're actually colorblind to the experience of somebody else because you've got so many of these lenses on. So just beginning to recognize that those exist. Is, everybody is, has them. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got them and they and have all kinds of things. And you, and you talked about it. I mean, the corporate personhood is a weird ass thing that we oh. are experiencing. And, and we have to recognize that we are part of a, of a economic system that is benefiting us because it harms other people. And if you, that's, that's capitalism. Yeah. Like you have to recognize that your food is, is picked by the broken backs of laborers in central California or, Mm -hmm. or, or wherever, you know, your clothing is made by the, by tiny hands of young people, children, or people who have no other choice or who are paying off some insane debt. Yeah. Um, and and w- until you begin to really recognize the true cost, which is a, a uh, think of Netflix documentary, the cost of what you're doing, the cost of your comfort. And really that's, I think all we're really saying right now is like, what is the cost of your comfort? What is the cost of your life? Yeah. Like really yeah. begin to question that. Yeah. And then, and then how can you make amends? How can you stop missing the mark and start hitting the mark? Yeah. 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 And, and I think it's, you know, one step at a time, one day at a time, because looking at the whole timeline feels overwhelming, but starting it's like, yeah. you know, when you, when you have trauma and you, you know, maybe you realize, like in my case, I realized, you know, I had repressed memories. It was overwhelming. I started to do the work. It takes a lot of years. I'll be doing the work the rest of my life, just like I'll be doing anti racism work inside myself for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. And then you, you know, you just, you have to take it one step one day at a time and sometimes we'll go backwards and then we we have to own it to ourselves living in integrity like i think a lot of people it is scary to live in that kind of integrity with yourself and i'm not saying that i have it figured out by any stretch right right, right. but but when you start to live in integrity with yourself and brene brown talks about this there isn't a better feeling because then you you are. I wanted to ask you if you have a spiritual practice and by spiritual practice, I mean, you know, not 
not Christianity based necessarily like meditation or mindfulness or grounding or, you know, is there something that you do? Maybe that something will help a guest, you know, because things are up in the air now and some of the things that worked before don't work now. Um, and is any of that informed by the work that you do? Cause I also want to give you a little bit of time to kind of maybe say the work that you do and, and maybe if those are informed by each other, you can kind of answer the same question. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, those are great questions. Uh, yes. I have a spiritual practice. Um, it's, it's formal in some ways and really informal in others. And the formality comes from most days I light candles in the dark and I listen to some sacred music and I listen to some sacred texts and I meditate. And that takes me eight to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I do that because I remember that on my own, left to my own devices, um, my mind runs riot. And I do that to remember those who can't help themselves always. Yeah. And that the bootstrap mentality is a ridiculous idea. No. <laughs> um, so that is a daily practice. Uh, I, I, it's rare that I miss days. Mm. Um, I, I try to spend um, some time throughout the week meditating beyond that. And I try to, um, one of my spiritual practices is, is understanding and listening to what my body and heart and mind need. Mm. And for me in particular, um, one is to put words on paper. Uh, I'm a writer. So if I don't write, then I feel wonky. Mm -hmm. Um, that also means, uh, breaking a sweat several times a week. Not because I'm not because I'm chasing uh, a number of miles to run or or pull ups or anything like that. It's just because my brain works better. It just yeah, freaking I mean, works better. You know, I feel less um, if I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, one thing you and I have in common is archery, and that is a love I've come back to. And one I left because of toxic masculinity and the culture I grew up in. I just thought I'm not handling that bullshit. And then realizing, like, I don't want to, um, you know, throw the baby out of the bathwater. And so that's a new journey for me that just started this summer. And that has been um, very Zen-like. And, yeah. and, and I got to say, uh, in Portland, uh, strangely, um, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a surprising amount of diversity <laughs> at the archery range. No, it's getting better all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and was, was even at a, a shop the other day and was really pleased to see people of color in the shop and the shop people uh, just being rad. And, and I thought this is rad. This is a cool experience. And, and I like that. Because it's, yeah. it, I don't, you know, it's almost, I, I don't even know how to explain it. I'm just happy to see it. Yeah. Um, 
So anyway, archery has been great. And I, and one thing that has been coming up in my mind is, is how can I introduce people of color to this fun thing that I enjoy? And, uh, I used to rock climb a lot in that, uh, I was very, very avid at it and, and pretty accomplished. And, and that was another thing I tried was to just introduce people of color into that world. Uh, because if you go into an REI or climbing shop, it's, it's very white. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it's rad to see a, a lot of uh, new accomplished people in that world that are people of color. And, and that's cool. That's really cool to me. So back to, back to the question, do I have a, 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 a spiritual practice? Yes. And, um, and that's, and partly if it's part of it's informed by my Christian world, that I grew up in and, and then realizing that that has to be, if I'm going to believe that, if I'm actually going to believe that, um, there is a God that seeks justice and yeah. seeks mercy, then I have to live that way. Uh, that, that gender orientation, that color of skin, that, uh, sexual orientation have nothing to do with justice and mercy. Mm -hmm. Um, and that a position of a person's heart and mind is does. Um, and what I mean by that is, that, do they love people? Do they actually treat people with dignity? Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's for me, that's it. Um, and then uh, part of my practice is helping other people and, and being of service to other people. And as a masculine wholeness coach, um, that is part of what I do is to help men in particular hear from the voice of God. And I call it God. Joseph mm -hmm. Campbell, I think has a really good way to describe that is, and that is God is the thing that we cannot describe. Yeah. It is a concept we cannot even begin to understand. And, and so um, I use that word. I don't require that word to be defined by anybody in any way. Um, because I've seen it with my own eyes, especially in the recovery world, people who would never, generally speaking, get to walk into a church and call themselves a person of faith, describe a relationship with a dynamic thing outside of themselves that frees them from their addictions mm -hmm. and changes their life. And, and that is rad to see. That's yeah. very, very neat to see. Um, so uh, when I help people understand that they can hear from something, they can hear from the bigger thing that exists, that is the space between stars, that is, that is the thing on the molecular level, and the thing that we might call love, right, that we might call ju uh, justice, um, that that thing wants to have an experience, a relationship with them, and then help them understand that they are capable, that they're not too far gone to hear from that and actually practice to hear from that and then act on that is really neat. I just got off a phone call a few minutes ago with a guy who, who has no, he has no informed worldview that's, that's spiritual, what, what we would call any kind of Western or even Eastern kind of spiritual experience. He just mm -hmm. doesn't. He grew up in a kind of agnostic, materialistic, capitalistic thing. And then, and then just to get to see him decide he wants to experience something on that other level. And then he does, mm -hmm. he actually did. Um, 
that's part of my practice. Like yeah. when you, when you're asking me about part of my practice is actually just introducing people to that. And then the joy of witnessing that yeah. um, is incredible. That's, that's amazing. So the, the, um, you know, I, I will say it again, I'm a person in recovery and I've got to use all the tools in the toolboxes. I meditate, <laughs> I exercise, I take medication. <laughs> I yeah. help other addicts. I help other people who are seekers. I help people on, on the journey and I tell my story and I try to listen to as many stories as I can. Mm-hmm. And especially from their mouth, because it's, that's the best. That's yeah. The best. So, yeah. Um, and I, and right now at this point in history, I get to shoot my bow a lot and I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. It's been amazing. Thank you for your vulnerability. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you want to plug before we go? I, I think you and I owe uh, some debt to our friend Darrell and yeah. uh, Black Men's Wellness. And that if you're a person listening to this and think, man, I've, I want to do something, even just move the needle forward a little bit in some way, um, seek out that Black Men's Wellness. Um, I think Darrell's doing an amazing thing, which is him recognizing, uh, which is a really interesting angle on justice work right now and that is the propensity for black men to die from nutritional um problems earlier than white people in particular and um and so him trying to say this isn't okay this is this is something wrong um and he's doing something about it and he's helping men um so seek that out and and um and really think about that. Think about that for a moment. Like how are, how is our culture feeding into that? And then how can, how can you do something different? So we owe him for that. And, and um, he's doing a great job out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he could use all your money people. Yeah. Give him some <laughs> dollars. Give him a lot of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. I, I usually end every podcast with, this message to my guest remember who you are you are worth knowing you are worth loving you are worth being in this world that's good 